address the problem in the church. Amen? <laughs> Philippians 4, verse number 1. Philippians 4, verse number 1. I'm going to read it, and then we're going to come back, and we're just going to sit down and have a little talk together. Is that all right? <laughs> okay. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Therefore, my beloved, and long for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord. Beloved, I implore you, 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 Udia, and I implore you, the Taish, to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labor with me in the gospel, with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. And <clears throat> again, I will say, rejoice. Then he gives a little bit of instruction. He says, Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is where? At hand. Then he said what we often have a problem with. He said, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with what? Thanksgiving to God. Amen. Let your request be made known to who? To God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and minds through Christ Jesus. Verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever, thi whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, Whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these things, <clears throat> these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. I'm going tonight we're just going to talk about rejoicing no matter what. Amen. You may be seated. Paul writes because there is a dispute in the church. He does not cover the dispute, but there is a dispute going on between two women who are mature in the church. 
and the church is paying attention to the chaos more than more than they're paying attention to the Lord. Isn't this something? How something can break out in the church and you start talking about what's wrong more than you're talking about the one who brought you to his house. That we could be in church and we should be focused on God, but yet we would be focused on what somebody said wrong to you. It, it, it is something how the enemy will try to use all type of tactics to get you off of your A game. Because he knows, he knows that you don't have much to do. He knows that God is doing everything for you. So Paul is trying to break it down to us so that we don't keep falling off of <clears throat> our feet. Because when we're standing and we make a stand for God, um, he lifts up a standard against the enemy. So the enemy is trying to use every tactic. And here he has brought a dispute amongst two women in the church. And Paul brings focus from the dispute to back to God. And so he uses it such a way. I love how Paul does that because he didn't want to talk about who was right or wrong. Right? He didn't even want to talk about where the dispute came from. He wanted to talk about rejoicing in the Lord. So, so he addresses the people, and I want, I want to <clears throat> um, go back to the text again, and, and, and we'll sort of look at how he methodically does it. He, he, he comes, he says, therefore, my beloved and long-for brethren, he, he speaks to them from a place of love. He speaks to them as creating value in them, no matter who's right or who's wrong. Paul begins to talk to them from a point of love, embracing them, embracing the whole body, and, and then begins to talk about, um, it, to the whole body, saying that these, these two women, get with them, love them. And so we can't pay attention to what's wrong in our life. Now, he's using these two women, but sometimes stuff will happen on your job. And if you pay attention to the wrong thing, then you'll get sucked into the vacuum. So Paul says to them, he says, I implore you to all come together. He's speaking to us from a point of togetherness because God um, instituted the church so that we could come together. Say together. together. Right, God does not want us apart because the enemy is leaking, seeking who he could devour. And he's waiting for you to be alone. And so when you say, I can sit at home alone and watch the word on TV, it's a problem because you think you're kicking it. But the devil is thanking you for staying home alone because he can deal with you alone. But when the body of believers come together, there's such a power of God that he can't touch you. So God has set this system up and Paul is telling the people, no matter what's wrong, our focus is off. Bring your focus back to God. So no matter what's wrong in your life, leave wrong at the door. Come on into the house of the Lord and think about the Lord's goodness because God is good all the time. And the only reason why things are happening in your life is because God is allowing them so that you can increase your trust in him. How many of you trust the Lord? He says, then he says, my joy and my crown so stand fast in 
the Lord. He, he then uses himself as a reference point because they had been watching his behavior. Is there anybody in your life that you could use as a reference point? Huh? Somebody's life that encourages you when you need to be encouraged? So God has put you close to somebody that has kept you going. When you wanted to quit, you got a phone call and said, nope, you can't quit. When you wanted to lay down, they said, no, let's go. When God has put a system so every time you wanted to quit, you could not quit. And so Paul is, Paul is referencing himself to them because God has placed them in his life. He said, you're not going to quit on my watch. And so Paul is encouraging them, and then he's telling them that his, where his joy is. And there's a problem because we have so much joy. Who gave you your joy? I got a question. Who gave you your joy? Who gave you your joy? How do you know? Because he lives within you. And he also said that I've given you your I've given you joy to fulfill. He's he's filled you with joy. So he says he's given you inexpressible joy. Isn't that what he said? So if he's giving you joy, then can you rejoice in the one that's giving you joy? You can, as long as you're focused on him. The issue is you are easily distracted. People do stuff and, and, and then you get mad at what they did. They did it, you didn't. Why? I'm trying to figure it out. Why do we act that way? Because Jesus isn't the center of the joy. If Jesus is the center of your joy, it doesn't matter what people do. You still happy. You still have joy. And you can still rejoice in the Lord. Then, have you ever been done wrong by anybody? Have you ever done anybody wrong? And that's why Paul didn't even want to address. Somebody had done something wrong and he didn't even care. He said, that's not the point. The point is God is good. And he is my joy and my crown. In other words, everything I do is to please him. And so when, when, you, when you recognize that it's not about what's going on in the world or what's going on around you or what's going on even between you and your kids or you and your spouse, that doesn't have anything to do with joy. Amen. And so we got to break the mold that the world has put on us. And how do we do that? By coming together. See, the enemy don't want us to come together. That's why he uses conflict. He tries to bring trouble in every relationship. So we can fight against one another. 
But that's why Paul said this war is not against flesh and blood. So no matter what somebody does wrong, you don't have to hold it against them. You can rejoice in the Lord for making them right. Amen. How do you know he will? Because you was wrong at one time. And the only way you became righteous is because of him. And so who should we focus on? What about when you do wrong? Who should you focus on? What about when people are doing wrong around you? Who should you focus on? Do you realize if you focus on him, you could bring so much light, it would change them? So Paul is telling them, look, he says, God has given me to you so that you can have an example of what Christ is in your life. So let's go. Verse number two. He says, I implore Yodia and I implore Tintite to be one of the same mind in the Lord. So look what he deals with. He says, there, there's something going on, but let's get, let's get you in the same mind. Because your mind is thinking this, and your mind is thinking that. But if you could both think on Christ, then everything could be all right. See, we all have this, what's called this strong will. I told you about being on the throne, right? So Paul tried to get them both off of the throne and let God be on the throne. Because if you could look up and see God in it, then you could come together. But it's hard when you're on the throne trying to be the king over the situation. In other words, you're trying to be right. And right will make you miserable. A whole lot of right people on the way to hell. Because right's not the key. Righteousness is the key. And righteousness is believing in God. And so he tells them, look, let, let's, let, let's deal with your mind because you think you're right and you think you're right. That's where arguments come from. Arguments don't come from you think you're wrong and you think you're wrong. <laughs> it comes from two wheels colliding, wanting to be God. Hmm. Because he's the only one that is right. So then he says, I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labor with me in the gospel, which Clement also and the rest of my follow, fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So he's saying to everybody in the church, don't try to take sides, but come together. And help one another. He said, he said, help these women. Stay focused on the Lord. All right, verse number four. Somebody read it. He shifts gears here. So rejoicing, he said, rejoicing is not based on agreement in the in in the with the Christian faith. Rejoice. It's based on agreeing that God is who he is. 
And so when he says rejoice in the Lord, he says something very powerful. He says he tells you when to do it. If you rejoice in the Lord always, it's hard for you to get in an argument with anybody. And you all admit it that rejoicing in the Lord always is very hard to do. Yeah, it is, as long as you're trying to do you. But when you're rejoicing in the Lord, it's no longer about you. So rejoicing in the Lord is not hard. Rejoicing in the Lord is a denial of your will. So if you say it's hard, it becomes hard. <laughs> Isn't that something? Because you just willed it. If you say, I'm going to do it, then you will do it. And it doesn't mean, oh, you have to be all happy about the situation. But you have to be happy about the one who's in charge of the situation. Amen. That Paul is speaking to taking God and lifting him high. When you see the Lord high and lifted up, you know he has everything covered. The reason why it's so hard is because you do not allow the Lord to be high and lifted up above your trouble. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1. Isaiah chapter 6, verse number 1. You there? Okay, somebody read it. Okay. He said, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. This is the prophet. He said, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Where? High and lifted up. And what else? Sitting upon the throne and what? And his train filled the temple. Now, back in those days, a king, the longer the train the bigger the kingdom. If you had a short train, you had a, a small kingdom. If you had a large train, you had a large kingdom. Uzziah, when, when King Uzziah died, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord different. This time when I seen him, he was high and lifted up and his train covered the whole temple. In, everything, in, in other words, God had everything covered. He finally was able to see, but it wasn't until Uzziah died. 
Who is Uzziah in your life right now today? Is it you? Because when you have a self-will, that is your Uzziah. And when, when your will dies and allows the will of God to stand up, it is more about Jesus than it is about anything. And you know he has everything covered. And if he has everything covered, you're just going to rejoice. But we don't see Jesus where he is. He's high. And he's lifted up. He's covered in every situation. When they lie on you, he got you covered. When they talk about you, he got you covered. When you fall down and make a mistake, he's got you covered. Okay, let's go back. So Paul, Paul, it said, he, he, he breaks it up. He says, rejoice always. He said, in other words, no matter what situation comes, see Jesus above it. If you can see Jesus above it, then you know everything is going to be okay. But if you look at situation or if you want to take sides you are leaving the place in which God has empowered you because when you're focused on God you are fully empowered it is when we're not focused on God that we feel bad you ever have a, a, a situation that sort of like makes you feel bad and then you think about the situation until it makes you feel worse. Why do we do that? That don't make no sense. When you could think about God and it changes everything. Now that makes sense. So then, if your children are acting up, don't sit there and think about how bad they're acting up. I implore you, focus on Jesus and start rejoicing that if he delivered you as bad off as you were, surely he's going to take care of those children. Now we have a reason to rejoice. Because we know what's coming. So he says, rejoice in the Lord when? And then he says, and again, I say, rejoice. And then he breaks this down. Now, now he's going to give us a little bit of instruction. Let's go. Verse number five. To some men. Okay, so, so you, <laughs> you, you, you ever be so gentle? I got, I got busted out, like, uh, 
Justin says, how come you could be so gentle to some people and when you talk to me, you got to be a little rough? You know how you can be just as nice to some people and then your spouse do something and you don't treat them the same way? Why is that? <laughs> it says be gentle. Okay, so he, he's helping us so we can rejoice. Because if we're gentle with all people, <laughs> we'll have a lot more rejoicing in the house. <laughs> because we, we, we are critical with some and gracious with others. We have a whole lot of grace for some, and we don't have no grace for others. I'm, I'm not, not going to put up. You, you know how we do? But the word says, <laughs> be gentle. Paul, Paul, Paul is teaching how to rejoice always. He said, the first thing you're going to have to learn is you're going to have to balance this thing out. You cannot give grace to some and hold a stick up to others. So he says, be what? Be gentle. <clears throat> Let your gentleness be known to all men. Why? The Lord is where? Okay, so if, if God is right there, and we're supposed to be gentle and have grace because God gives us grace, then why is it that we don't do what the word tells us to do. I'm going to tell you why. Because it didn't get you, but now it's got you. It got you tonight. You're going to do better. Give somebody a high five and say, it's better now. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes you don't do better because you don't know better. How many of you knew that was in there? Didn't know. How many of you know you need work in that area? Huh? And when you're conscious of something, see, the, see when the word gets in your mind, it's going to help you. Because you're going to mess up and do it, and the Holy Spirit going to come and convict you. I just told you Wednesday night. <laughs> That's how he'll do it. Because it's his job to get us better. Okay. It says, because the Lord is at hand. Okay, then he, then he says this. Then he says this. This is another one. This is another reason why it's hard to rejoice. Somebody read it. Okay. Be anxious for nothing, and we're anxious for everything. We want a microwave experience all the time. Quick, fast, and in a hurry. Get it done. We, we, we want it that way. But that way don't last. The Bible says, be anxious for nothing. Oh, I can't wait. I need a job. Lord, I, I, be all anxious about a job? And then you get the job and don't want it. 
start talking about how it's killing you. The very thing you prayed for is wearing you out. Just anxious. Oh, oh Lord, I need this. I need that. Oh, Lord, oh, let me give me. Can you spare me, Lord? How about this? Thank you, God, for keeping me. I would have been losing my mind right now. But you're just so amazing. That even when I don't have, you still give. Oh, when you begin to just thank him, God, thank you. Because they should have all left me from the thing I did last time. But you've been so good to me. See, when we start just appreciating, instead of being anxious for something new, and better always want more anxious to get out some stuff you get in you need to stay in oh lord i'm i don't like being in this situation i need a, no just stay in the situation you ain't done he's cooking you when we jump out too fast we end up breaking because we didn't stay in there long enough Anxious for what? Why? God has a perfect time to deliver. Okay? So that's the first part. Be anxious for what? A whole lot of arguments happen because somebody wanted it done faster. <laughs> you should have done it. I needed this. I needed it by this time. It didn't happen at that time, so evidently you didn't need it. <laughs> Just rejoice. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. Um, okay, so this is it. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, supplication, asking and petitioning, and supplic in supplication with God, and then it says, now get this, with thanksgiving. It is something that we would pray for something and petition God with supplication, but we don't end the prayer with no thanksgiving. It's a problem because why would you pray to a God that you know has it, but you can't believe him that he'll give it to you. Then why even pray? That's why he says it has to be supplication. You're going to have to believe what you pray. And if you believe what you pray, he says if you believe you've received it, then you should thank him. So every prayer should be ended with what? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is a point of rejoicing over what you just petitioned for. And when you begin to rejoice in the Lord, what you are doing is you are fertilizing what you just planted. So when you start to thank God, and know, oh God, oh Lord, I don't know how to do this. I know you do. Oh God, I, I'm gonna wait on you. Thank you, God. Oh, I don't know. And, and, and then you just, and then you, you, you get up and you're heavy hearted. Why? If you just petition God. Your thanksgiving 
should make you crazy. You should be thanking God even though you don't have it because you know he's faithful. If you know God is faithful, that's how you begin to rejoice. Even when it looks like no, when you start rejoicing, it could change to a yes. So you could change it quicker than it's been changing. But we have to do things in order. Is that good? And then it says, now get this. And then it says, when you end with thanksgiving and let your request be known to God, what does it say? All right, when we're not anxious and we approach God, what, let me tell you something about God. He don't mind you asking for nothing because he's going to give you what you need. You, you know, that's how God is. He's going to give you everything you need. What does he say? He shall supply all your needs. He might supply. He shall supply all your needs. You believe that? Okay, so if you need something, can you rejoice because you know he's going to supply it? So then now you can't use it for a reference point. I can't rejoice because I need something. See, because the world has already tricked us that we can't rejoice until we get it. But Paul's teaching us, no, we rejoice always because we're going to get it anyway. <laughs> it's just God is awesome. Everything that you've ever needed, God has supplied it. All right. And he says, <clears throat> and when you make your thanksgiving unto God and, and, and your request, he says, he says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. That means when you really believe God, your thoughts won't be on that stuff that's bothered you. When you believe God and you can thank him, you can thank God. I mean, you have something that only God can help you with right now. How many of you believe God's going to help you? How many of you are happy about that right about now? <laughs> Let me show you something. There's people in your life that know what you need and they know the circumstance. Let me tell you, and God will bring witnesses into your life that's looking at your situation that looks toe up from the floor up. And the reason why he allows that to happen is because when he, when he does what he promised he was going to do, when he meets that need, he's got witnesses. And when the witnesses see that God did it, now he has followers that are going to want to know Jesus just like you know. So God is using, using situations in your life to bring others to Christ. So then, when you're going through your trial, don't trip. Rejoice. Because God is working on something on your behalf. All right, so verse 8, here we go. Finally.
So now he's telling you how to keep your mind right. David, listen, David was chased by a man that he was playing music for and ministering to him and being a blessing to his life. And he was chasing him with a lot of men trying to kill him. David was gone, going through so much turmoil that he was running from cave to cave. And sometimes that he had to go to a cave all by himself. And when he got all by himself, he stood in the cave and would just say to himself, Lord, bless me. Lord, bless. when David got all alone, he cried out to God. Why? Because he was rejoicing in God. While he was in trouble. While the enemy was after him. He was rejoicing. And because he was rejoicing. God was protecting him. And watching over him. So what did David say? Put Psalm 34 and 1 on the board. David teaches us how to get our mind right. It's not about you. It's not about your trouble. It's about the Lord that's high, lifted up above your trouble. So David says this. He says what? Wait, 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 wait. Paul says rejoice when? And again I say, David says, I will bless the Lord at all times and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. David says, in order to get your mind, keep your mind right, you're going to have to rejoice right. You're going to have to give God praise no matter what. As you praise God, it not only changes the situation, it changes you. It strengthens you. When you start rejoicing in the Lord, you get strong. When you talk about your problem, you get weak. So which one you going to do? <laughs> Somebody's ready. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not telling you, oh, well, Pastor said I can't talk about my problem. Get it out one good time. Choose the right person to talk to about it. I, make sure you choose a cheerleader. You don't want to choose one of them one. Tell your problem and they get all in it with you. Oh, yeah. You, that's just so bad. <laughs> Sometimes we be looking for folks to join a pity party. But get you a cheerleader so you can do it. Don't worry about how big the mountain is. Don't worry how, about how big Goliath is. Just one, you one stone away. If you get you a cheerleader like that, that'll tell you we're not going to talk about your problem, God's going to fix your problem, then that's rejoicing in the Lord. Amen. David said, let's go to verse 2. He said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Then he got happy and said, my soul makes it boat makes it boast in the Lord. He said, he said in his soul, he, he started blessing God and his soul changed. 
the soulish realm. The soul controls the mind. That's a piece of the mind. His mind shifts gears. <clears throat> and he said, I'll boast in the Lord and the humble shall hear of it and be what? He said, no matter what's going on in my life and I start praising God and rejoicing in God, it's going to change people because my soul's going to catch on fire and people going to get happy over my rejoicing in the Lord. How many of you know that you can make somebody happy just by rejoicing in the Lord? Verse 3. Oh, then he said, oh, look, I, I don't want to just enjoy this by myself. Oh, come. He said, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Then he's inviting everybody else to this rejoicing party. Because if you start magnifying God, all your troubles get little. Because God is so big. And he said, let, and let us exalt his name together. Verse 4. Then he said, I sought the Lord and he heard me. I sought him and he heard me. I sought him when I was rejoicing, I was going after him. See, see when you rejoice in God, you're going after him because you're, it's making it about him. That's what it says, in him we have, in him we live, in him. When you start rejoicing, you move into him. I sought the Lord, and he heard me. You, you, you know, he, he needs to hear you. Well, I'm under too much pressure. Well, if you don't have nothing but a let that out, because when a can gets under pressure, at least it'll go, shh. Then you, I know you got a shh in you at least. Pressure should not stop you from worshiping and rejoicing in God. I saw him. He delivered me. Wait, wait, wait. Has God ever delivered you? And he's still delivering you. No, no, I, I like to say, he delivered me from my fear. Well, everything in the world is fears. Everything in the spirit is faith. So where do you want to be, in the spirit or in the world? In the faith or in the fear? When you rejoice, it delivers you from the world realm into the spirit realm and your fears leave because you know your God has it all verse 5 they looked to him and were radiant and their faces was not ashamed when the presence of God it changes everything verse 6 this poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his trouble. But he had to open his mouth. Verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. And verse 8. 
taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. I want everybody that trusts in the Lord to give him one of the praises deep down inside of you and rejoice in the Lord. Yes, Lord. Thank you, God. Yes, Lord. Rejoice in him. Rejoicing in him changes everything that was bothering your mind will have to leave. Because you then you'll start to think of the Lord's goodness. When I think of his goodness and all he's done for me, my soul cries out. Hallelujah. When, when you begin to rejoice in God, start thinking about how good he is. And then it takes your mind. The Bible, Paul says, whatever things are lovely and whatever things are pure and whatever things are of good report. The enemy's trying to send waves into your mind to have you think in the ways that are not of God. But God says you can run them out by just rejoicing. You can run every thought out of your mind by rejoicing in him. We got to go. But I want you to know, put this into practice and watch God move mightily in your life. He moved. In rejoicing he, he when you rejoice you invite him in and you go into him and it changes your thought process when the enemy's trying to deliver you all these thoughts how do I know he's trying that's his job so all your little past stuff and then he'll show you some new stuff that tries to then he tell you a lie and tell you it's attached to your old stuff and then you sit there and start entertaining it. Whenever the enemy tries to do that to you, you begin to rejoice in the Lord. That's God letting you know, I, I, I want to hear from you. Too much meditating on worldly stuff. God wants your mind. And what God wants, He's going to get it. One way or another. <laughs> it's your choice. But I say rejoice always in the Lord.